ladies, that was beautiful. That was so well done. And now my buddy with a happy sock, I wore mine tonight. Just, I, I fit in. I fit in. You couldn't see them the other night. They were in my cowboy boots, but yeah. I, and when I get to uh, my grandkids next week, I'll have probably a whole nother stack of them because they think that's so cool, and I do too now. <laughs> my brother thinks I'm nuts, but I, I don't care. Does Brother Reno wear happy socks? No. Oh, it's time he did. Why don't you just bombard him, but oh boy, he's going to hate me now. <laughs> oh, well, but anyhow, I am so thankful to be here. I preached this morning in Oregon. Let me back up. Uh, this is my fifth time to preach since Wednesday. <laughs> I'm preaching um, uh, here Wednesday, then Thursday up in Everett, and then uh, Friday I flew to Florida and, and uh, got there at midnight and then spoke at the funeral Saturday morning, yesterday morning at 9 o'clock their time, and then flew back here and got home at 2 a.m. thanks to the good old reliability of Delta Air and a broken passenger door or something, I don't know, but it delayed two hours. Then I drove to Klatskanai, is that how you pronounce it, Klatskanai? Yeah, close enough, Oregon. And uh, I told them, look, I got to leave here at 3 o'clock, and they had food for me. I'm sorry, brother, I don't say no to food, so I ate too much, I guess. But anyhow, I'm back. I'm here tonight, so I thank the Lord. I'm really thankful that my, um, my place to sleep is less than 100 yards away. Hallelujah. Right? Where's the house? Is it that away? That away? <laughs> Good enough for me. But I'm looking forward to, uh, to that. But open your Bibles, please, to Psalm chapter 12. We told a little bit about our ministry the other night when I was uh, with you. We print Bibles, as the brother said, and um, we're part of a ministry called Bearing Precious Seed. There are about 20, maybe 25 churches across the country that print scriptures to give away to missionaries. We do it usually in a John Romans format. Uh, those two Bible books together are, there's the basics of salvation and the grounds of truth for a person to get grounded in Romans and get a lot of theology in the book of Romans. So anyhow, it only costs 10 cents to print those, and that's why we print so many of them, give them them away by the hundreds of thousands. And uh, I think we've reached over 32 million now in the last 25 years or 45 years it is. But anyhow, God's used it. Uh, we're seeing people saved all across the country. I, I spoke at uh, Pasco the other day for their Burmese church. And some of the people, they all speak Burmese. Some live in Myanmar. Some live in Thailand. Some live there in Pasco. But I preached on a Saturday night to them by way of interpretation. And I was uh, in two or three different countries, including America, two other countries. And uh, it, it was exciting. But now the pastor told me, that he wants to print a whole Burmese Bible. We printed Burmese New Testament and John Romans, so I'm really praying about that, and um, uh, I'll, I'll put that on the docket. I want to do that next year. We, we got to get our, uh, our Farsi Bible printed first, and then a fellow called me. He's been calling me for weeks. He wants us to print his Russian Bible. He translated himself, and I don't know. We're a little leery about that, but... Um, He's a good fella, and if he can get some people to say, yeah, this is okay, because I can't read Russian, can you? I can't, uh, but uh, we have to rely on our, our brethren, and uh, I'd love to print. I want to print the trade languages. There's 20 trade languages around the world, and 90% of the world's population speaks those languages, and that's a great way to reach people is through the printed word, and so, uh, Lord willing, that's what we want to do, and keep on doing it. Thank you all for your support for our ministry. 
And uh, this church has stood behind us, not only for paper, but also for uh, my personal support. And I, I need that too. And God, God, uh, God bless you all for that. Um, I wanted to say a word quickly about uh, how grateful I am for these churches here in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, specifically that are standing true for old-fashioned doctrine, old-fashioned King James Bible, old-fashioned preaching, separation, soul winning. You know, they're, they're becoming more and more rare all across the country. When I was telling different ones, they said, where are you going next? I said, well, I'm going to end up in the Pacific Northwest. I'll be preaching out there. They said, are there churches out there? I said, yeah, there's plenty of churches out there, and there's good ones out there. They're few and far between, but they're good ones. And I was shocked this morning. I was at a church I didn't even know existed. It's been there 37 years, I think. And Matt, it is solid. Uh, you, you folks would line up with them, fellowship. Uh, it, was, it was just a joy to be there in this far-off place way out in the wilderness. It was so far out in the wilderness that when I turned on my GPS to get back here, it didn't work. I had to find my way back to Longview before I get my GPS to work. Now, that's in the boondocks right there. But he had a full house, and uh, I preached t- twice this morning at 11 o'clock, and then again at 12 o'clock plus dinner. And, uh, oh, wow, I'm here, so thank the Lord for that. But uh, I, I'm really grateful the Lord used me. I, I had a special blessing this morning. There was, was a man there, I would say young. He, was, he used to be young. We all did, didn't we? But uh, this fellow walked up, and he, he was telling me, Pastor Green, you may not remember me, but I came to your church at SeaTac. And he said, uh, most of the time I was sitting there and arguing with you in my head while you preached. And I was such a rebel. I was still on drugs. And he said, I don't know why, but I just kept, go- kept coming to church. And uh, he said, I knew I was lost. And anyhow, since that time, he's gotten saved. His mother's gotten saved, who was, I think he said she was Satanist or something. And uh, she was way out there. But she's gotten saved, and she's solid on the King James Bible. She said, I read it one time, and I knew it was the Word of God. Amen. That's wonderful. But anyhow, he's raised a family. His, young, his older son's a businessman. His two little kids, they're about 12 or 14. They sang a special this morning. It just touched my heart. You know, I say that to say this. God's word is real. It still does the work. It's not me. It's not me. All I did was preach it. Holy Spirit got inside and did the work. I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So I give God the glory. But it thrilled my heart to know that there was a young man that responded uh, to the word of God. I want you to look in Psalm 12, and we're going to read the first five verses there. And uh, uh, this, this chapter, you're very familiar with verse six, with verse six and seven. But I, I'm going to show you something that the Lord showed me, I don't know, it's been some time back. But this, this uh, chapter takes a 90 degree, I wouldn't say a 180, because it just takes about a 90 degree uh, turn at, at the end of verse 5. You wonder where in the world did verse 6 come from after verse 5. But let's read it. And we'll take a look. I love these first two words in verse, in verse 1. Help, Lord! <laughs> Have you ever said that? I was saying that today on I-5, believe it or not. And um, yeah, I remembered how courteous these drivers out here, they were too courteous. They were like 500 feet between vehicles, but it made it easy for me to dodge in and out. So they probably thought I was from Tennessee the way I was driving. Those are the NASCAR people at Tennessee. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's a lot of fun. You better be ready when you go to Tennessee. And they, uh, they advertise all the time. But yeah, help, Lord. That's what the psalmist is saying. For the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. 
They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. Now, wait, let's get a hold of this. Now, this sounds kind of like 2023, doesn't it? Sounds like it's coming straight out of Washington, D.C. Verse 3, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. My goodness, that sounds like Pharaoh. Remember him? Uh, he goes on to say, who said with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is the Lord over us? That's exactly what Pharaoh said to Moses. Who is the Lord God that I should fear him? And you know, that, that attitude just recycles constantly, doesn't it? Not only with leadership and those that are, uh, are so against God in leadership. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to be critical uh, because it is a very major thing in America that leadership is anti-Christianity right now. And it's sad for us to see that. But that gives us all courage. It ought to give us courage to, to stand stronger. It used to be um, you had to really go out of your way to, to be noticed, but not anymore. All you got to do is look like a Christian nowadays. All you got to do is pass out a gospel track, and people are <laughs> going, what? Where did this come from? But uh, that's where we are um, in this world. In verse 4 or 5, it says, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. That sounds good. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Now, there's a great word in the King James Bible, puffeth. Now, just let your imagine go. What do you think that means? It probably means exactly what you think. I looked it up in a dictionary to make sure, but it, you guys, I, I'll just tell you, Tina, she used to track me on my phone. She had one of those apps. She said, you need to put, get on there, sign up for this. So, see, she knew where I was every minute of every day when I was driving. She said, I need to know so I can have you stop at the drugstore. I can stop, have you stop at, at the grocery store. I can have you go by and do this or do that. And I said, no, you're just, you're just nosy. You just want to know where I am. And one day she called me. I was shopping. She said, Johnny, what are you doing in Bass Pro Shop? <laughs> I said, well, I needed some stuff. I, I, I need some leaders. I need some fresh tippet. I need, I need another reel or this or that. I don't even remember. And you know what her response was? Where's my microphone? Yeah, yeah, that's better. She puffed at me. That's exactly what that word means right there. It's a, it's a sneer. It's a, it's, it's a mockery. And I don't think Tina was being ugly. She just, she just wasn't, wasn't appreciating my, my uh, desire to have all these things that I felt were necessary in my life, you know. But, but uh, anyhow, we had a lot of fun with that. But you guys have heard it, haven't you? Where you been? I had to stop at the tackle shop. <laughs> well, that, that's the world in general. When you witness to them, when you take a stand, when you say that you believe in God and that you believe the Bible, you sometimes will get, and God said, I'm going to protect you from those people. I will arise and I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. So let them puff, amen? Let them mock. I'm standing with God. He's going to protect me. They're, going to, they're not going to lay a hand on us. And even if they do, our, our God will be with us. But then, the, then verse 6 comes up. So here you got all this staging in verse 1 through 5. All this vanity, the flattering, the double heart, the proud speaking, the puffing, all that stuff 
You think, where in the world are we going to go? And then it says in verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, isn't that amazing? So now I get it. I get the staging in verses 1 through 5. That all this stuff is going on. Yeah. The world is at, at our back. They're nipping at our heels like a bunch of bulldogs, you know. They're, they're, they are in contention over us. They're mocking and they're jeering. They are resisting what we're trying to give them, and that's eternity. That's salvation. We're offering it to them from Jesus Christ. And all they can do is mock. But don't fear. God said his words are pure. They're as silver. They're purified seven times. And God says, I'm going to keep them. I'm going to preserve them. Now, we call our ministry local church Bible publishers. There's a Bearing Precious Seed. There's also Calvary Publishing. In our, in our group, we have all these things grew out of the Bearing Precious Seed ministry. But local church Bible publishers, oh, you guys are preserving the Word of God. Well, no, we're printing the Word of God. You're preserving the Word of God. That's your job. It's not my job. It's my job as a father and a grandfather now. It's my job as a Christian. As you read your Bible and you share that with your family, you share that with your Sunday school class, you share that with your youth group, you share that with lost people, your neighbors and people that you love, you keep reading that Bible and holding to it. You know what you're doing? You're locking that thing into your mind and into your heart so that you can recognize error just like that. If someone's reading the wrong Bible and say, wait a minute, whoa, that's not King James Bible. You say, oh, why, why should you be such an old fuddy-dud about the King James Bible? Well, it's just the Word of God, amen. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't accept any other. There's over 300 English translations. What nonsense, and what in the world do we need 300 Bibles for? Can you imagine if all of us had a different version this, this evening, and we tried to read um, Psalm 23 together? It would be chaos. It would be confusion. And we know who the author of confusion is, and that's where all this stuff came from. So, I'm just going to stick with the old King James Bible. That's the one that God put his blessing on. That's the one he's using. And that's the one he has used to send more missionaries to the field. More churches have been started from the King James Bible. More missionaries have been planting churches. More work has been done through that King James Bible than any Bible, including the originals. Yeah, check it out. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Well, thank the Lord. Uh, and so, uh, it's preserved. It's pure. I love the fact that when you read your Bible, you're not dependent upon some newscaster to give you the latest spin. It's the Holy Spirit's job. In John 16, it says, he will guide you. The Holy Spirit, he's the comforter. He will guide you into all truth. You say, well, wait a minute. I don't, there's some stuff I read I don't understand. Just keep reading it. <laughs> You'll grow into it, amen. <laughs> I was the runt in my family. All my brothers, my sister, I don't think, we were about the same size, but... I wasn't going to wear her clothes, her hand-me-downs. I'm not one of those, you know. So, so anyhow, uh, but my brothers, I had hand-me-downs coming from both directions, from the older and from the younger. And, uh, oh, well, I'm probably going to outlive all them. Anyhow, that's, that's my contention right now. But, but um, you have to grow in grace. You grow into knowledge. The Bible talks about that. It's so plain. And we take a five-year-old. You don't take a five-year-old and send him to school for two weeks and then teach him Hey, look, I want you to study out the, the theory of relativity it's by Albert Einstein. You need to read up and study up on that. He's five years old. <laughs> he just barely learned to say goodbye to his mom without crying. <laughs> you can't expect him to understand all this stuff. 
You have to let him grow into it. And as he grows year by year and he gets his math down, his English and his science and his history and all that stuff and eight parts of speech. Wasn't that murder, those eight parts of speech? I hated that stuff. What I really hated was four-digit multiplication. What a waste of time. Now kids got calculators. Well, they don't even have to do that. But when I was in school, <laughs> we had to write it all out with paper, cast out the nines and all that stuff. And uh, anyhow, uh, but you have to learn that, patiently learn it. And then when you get up to those other levels, this other learning is you're capable of grasping some of those concepts. Well, that's how it is with the Bible. It's exactly how it is with the Bible. You grow into it. And as you read it and you walk with him, your understanding is going to grasp it. It's amazing because you're going to be reading along some, one of these days and something that you were scratching your head over last year, you're going to be reading it and not, not hardly paying attention. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's going to turn on the lights. You say, oh, yeah, I get it now. That's exactly what that's trying to say. I wonder how come I didn't get it last year. You weren't ready for it last year. You say, well, I, I'm ready for it. I'm, I'm a pretty intelligent guy. That's just, really, that has no bearing whatsoever on spiritual growth, how intelligent you are. There's a lot of people that have PhDs. They ain't got enough sense to get it out of the rain. Excuse me, my use of the word ain't, but I'm still a redneck. I'm from that part of Florida. Amen. <laughs> but uh, there are people that are so educated that they've, they've um, rationalized God and creation out of their, their whole mindset. That, 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 they don't even accept that. I don't, I don't call that smart. I've got some little old grandmas that I know that can hardly read and write. And uh, they, they can read their Bible and they follow God. They honor the Lord. They got a whole lot more wisdom. They got more wisdom than their little pinky than some of these PhDs that run around these universities giving lectures, making, making money, writing books. I, I, that doesn't impress me. What impresses me is some old saint that's still walking with God. That impresses me. Someone that's still coming to church after they've been through the fiery trials after they've faced the world, after they've faced all this opposition that's coming at them, and yet here they go, they keep going to church. Neighbors must think they're crazy. Their family must think they're nuts. But they're still worshiping God, still loving God, still walking with God. We can trust the Bible. I've got a handful of reasons here. We're going to look at them as quickly as we can. But why is it we can trust this Bible? For one thing, God wrote it. And uh, he said it's the word of God. He said it over and over and over. He said it's his word. The Bible testifies of itself as being the word of God. That's what the prophets preached. That's what the New Testament apostles preached. That's what Jesus preached. And that's a preaching I've heard all my lifetime and probably you too. That the Bible is the word of God and we can trust it. We can believe it. Uh, they have a a new term for this stuff. Uh, here's the old, the old guy. They asked him. He wasn't a real brilliant theologian, you know. He was just, he went to church. They said, what do you believe? He said, I believe what my church believes. What does your church believe? Well, my church believes what I believe. Now, they make fun of that. There's a word. I, I can't remember. I just heard it this week, but I didn't write it down. T-A-U something or other. But it, it, it means uh, that, you know, it's just a self-reasoning existence, I guess. But anyhow, that's what the Bible says, though. That's why people reject it, because God said it's his, and it's his word, and we can trust it. You know, when you accept Jesus Christ, you know what you've done? When you've uh, trusted him as your personal savior, where did you hear about him? 
from a preacher, a soul winner, from your mom, your dad, Sunday school teacher. They got it from the Bible. So when you trusted Jesus Christ, you know what you trusted? You trusted the Bible. We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. The word of God which liveth and abideth forever. So we put our faith and trust what God said. <laughs> yeah, we can trust it. It's amazing that people, they can't trust the Bible for some of their daily decisions or their life choices, but yet they claim to be saved. Come on, give me a break. Get in the Bible. It'll show you how to raise your kids. It'll show you how to run your business. It'll show you how to be a good church member, a good Christian, a good citizen. It's all there in the Word of God, and we can trust it. So when you take Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are taking the Bible. And for somebody to rationalize, well, I, I believe there's a God, but I, the Bible is written by men. I don't trust the Bible. Do you realize how dumb that is? I, I hate to be sarcastic, but that's, that's just stupid. Where did you hear about God? How do you get this concept of God without a Bible? It's, it's just foolishness. But, you know, people that are lost, they're deceived by the devil constantly. They don't even know it, but they're, they're deceived. Uh, we got three enemies in this world. <laughs> it's not Russia and Ukraine and China. It's not. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's our enemy. And really, as a Christian, that's, that's our only opposition. And when we get up in the morning, that's what we're going to face every day, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we have to resist it. The Bible says resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Think about that one. Uh, the world, we're not to be conformed to this world. So don't try to act like them, talk like them, be like them. That's, that's your enemy out there. They're going to drag you down. And our flesh, that's the big one, isn't it? Oh, boy, Jesus, uh, Paul said in... Galatians, I crucify myself. I die daily. And that, that's the flesh. We have to, have to get pretty rough on the flesh. And you know, your flesh, it doesn't want to get up. It doesn't even want to go to bed. <laughs> it makes no sense. It doesn't want to eat, and then it doesn't want to stop eating. Uh, but it does want the biggest piece of pie. It does want the most ice cream. And that's just our flesh. Your flesh wants everything and anything that's not good for you. It surely doesn't want you praying. You have to get on your knees, and you have to make yourself pray. You say, oh, not me. It's no effort for me to pray. Yes, it is. Your flesh does not want to do it. And to read your Bible, you, you, yeah, you might have a good time with it for, for a few days, but there's going to be days when your flesh just does not want to read it. There's going to be times when your flesh doesn't even want to go to church. But we have to rule, overrule our flesh. And thank God we have something inside of us. We have a will that we can submit to God and stay in his perfect will, and we can overrule this low-down flesh. It's the biggest enemy you got. It's the biggest enemy that I have. So anyhow, we can trust the Bible. Why? Because it's the Word of God. It says it's the Word of God, and I trust, I trust God, our Creator. This Bible has an un, unusual origin. It was given by divine inspiration. Now, um, we know that the sun is, what, 93 million miles away. It takes eight minutes for the heat or the light of the sun to get to earth. That's, for me, that's just all fuzzy. It doesn't make sense, but that's what, that's what science say, and how much do we trust them? But anyhow, uh, the, the, um, the light of the sun, that's 93 million miles. So that's just in our galaxy. The sun's the center of our galaxy. When I was a kid, it seemed like they, we only had 16 galaxies. When I was growing up, I guess there's more than that now. There's an infinite number. In fact, when I was growing up, we had nine planets. One was Pluto. Poor Pluto. I, who voted that in, I wonder? 
Who said Pluto is no longer a planet? That, I, you know what? I still claim Pluto as a planet I, I, until they prove, prove differently. But anyhow, uh, I'm saying that, that our, our, um, our galaxy is so massive. But if there are infinite galaxies, where does that put the throne of God in heaven? Because it was there from that throne of God that he spake unto those holy men of old. And they were moved by the Holy Ghost to write down the scriptures. Now, that's amazing because wherever God is out there in that big wide universe, he chose this planet out of all this infinite number of planets. He chose this planet not only to send his word, but to send his son to die on Calvary's cross to redeem the people on this planet. Kind of makes me wonder. These people that say, well, we're still looking for life on other planets. There's a big deal on, I guess, on the, some whistleblower from the Air Force. He's talking about all this stuff in the news this past week or so. And, uh, yeah, my, my uh, daddy-in-law, he was 95. He died this, this month. We buried him yesterday. His daddy in 1969, when they said, he said, Daddy, they, they just put a man on the moon this week. This was 1969. And his daddy, he gave him a frown. He said, boy. Don't let them make a fool out of you. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I guess they did put a man on the moon, but you know what's crazy? We put a man on the moon before we put wheels on our luggage. That's what's crazy. <laughs> but anyhow, God chose this planet out. His son redeemed this planet. So if those other planets, maybe they're all sinlessly perfect, who knows? But this one needed a redeemer. Thank God he found us. Thank God he gave us his word by divine inspiration. He gave it to 40, over 40 writers over a 1,500-year span. And by the way, that's nothing to God. 1,500 years, that's nothing. Three languages, three continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. And there are no contra contradictions in the Bible. There are no discrepancies. There's, you're going to find one thing disagreeing with another thing. You can look and look and look. That's been challenged so many times. So many evangelists and so many people have offered up thousands of dollars. If you could find one error in the Bible, you're not going to find it. Uh, you know, I mean, we could put all of our brains together in this building tonight, and we would not find a problem with this Bible. The Bible finds plenty of problems with me, but I find no problems in the Bible. So this Bible has an unusual origin. No, there's no other book on, on earth that has an origin like that. There's harmony in the scriptures. That is, those 66 books, they get along. They feed one another. That's what harmony is. There, there's a blending. There's a same, there's a same message, a, a unified message. And really, when it comes right down to it, you boil it right down to the message. It's the message of Jesus Christ. He's the king. And he has a kingdom and he wants you to be a part of it. That's what it's about from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The king and his kingdom is Jesus. You kids go to school, you study math, you study science, you study English, and then you study history. That's a compound word. It's his story. That's where the word came from. Your teachers probably don't even know that. You ought to ask them sometime. If you go to a school that's not a Christian school, you know, we, we study history, where did that word come from? Who's, who's him? It's his story. Who, who's this guy? Who is, the, who is the person that it's about? It's about Jesus Christ. 
And there are other parts of history in the world, other things, but because they don't relate to the story of Christ, they're not interesting to anybody. <laughs> we don't care about it. All we're concerned about is what Jesus has to say. And yeah, well, that's, that's the way I feel at least. There's a harmony. That's why we can trust it. Uh, there, there's a, um, the usage of the language, uh, so much so that the, the flow of the, as you read your Bible, you're going you're gonna to understand that this portion that you read a week or two or a month ago, it's going to help define this portion that you're reading now. When you get in the New Testament, you're going to find the phraseology is so poetic, it's, it's, it's almost rhythmical. Uh, Tyndale, William Tyndale translated the New Testament. He was the first one to take the Textus Receptus and put it in English for him. William Tyndale knew seven languages. He knew them so fluently, they could not tell his mother tongue. He spoke them so plainly. He's a brilliant, brilliant man, and uh, it took him years to get that tra translated. He almost, well, he did. He gave his life uh, so that the world could have the New Testament in the English language. He also translated the Pentateuch, and a friend of his uh, finished up the translation, so they had the whole Bible uh, shortly after Tyndale's death. It was called the Matthews Bible, but it was done by a friend of his uh, that, that finished up <clears throat> those books that he did not complete. But in the New Testament, I, I read years ago, that 75% of the phraseology, of the wording of the New Testament is directly from Tyndale's translation. Now, I talked to an expert about two months ago down in Florida, and he's trying to get us to print three books of his, and he's, he's getting senile. It's very hard to talk to him on, on the telephone, so I'm going to have to go down and visit him, and his wife's going to have to interpret to me because he lives there in Florida, but I, I want to print his books. He's a brilliant man, but he says up almost 90% of the New Testament is Tyndale's. So I don't know how he judges that or how he examines that, but I'll trust his judgment. But at least 75% of that phraseology, wow, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. But there's a harmony in the scriptures. It all agrees. It feeds into the main channel. And that's why we can trust it. There's a preservation uh, of the Bible. It's amazing that God gave us inspiration, gave us the Bible by inspiration. And what was old-fashioned Bible-believing Baptist, we believe in a, in a high-dollar word called plenary verbal inspiration. <laughs> All that means is he gave it word for word. And there's a new concept of, of translation called dynamic equivalency. It's nonsense. It's, it's not trustworthy. That is, they teach that, uh, well, God just gave Moses a concept and said, okay, Moses... Think about this, now put that into your words. No, 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 I, I'm not going there. That's not how we got our Bible. We believe God gave the Bible verbally, word for word. That's how we got it. And otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. So he gave it by inspiration. So why would God, who knows how many billions, trillions of miles away that he is, would go to all the trouble of singling out this planet and give us this divine Bible that's completely perfect, without error, all this harmony, all this composition, and then just let it be absorbed into history? How, how, how silly. That's perfect nonsense, as the old preacher would say. God didn't do that. The miracle inspiration is supported by the miracle of preservation. That's just as big a miracle. Do you believe in the inspiration of the Bible? Then it's no problem to, to believe in the preservation of the Bible. And the Bible says right there, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them 
from this generation forever. I think I already explained how God preserves it. He does that through his people. We study truth. We embrace the truth. We hold the truth. We live the truth. We tell the truth. And we preserve the word of God. God does that through his people. He does everything through his people. That's how he builds this church, by the way. God works through human instrumentation. That's how he gets his work done. You know the old song? I think it was Ray Overholt that wrote it. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and, and to set him free. And, and he didn't do that. He didn't choose 10,000 angels to do it. He chose you and he chose me. He called us. When he saved us, he gave us a commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Very simple. But um, I love the fact that God works through human instrumentation. That's amazing. And I, for one, I would I'd be first to raise my hand that I am the most unworthy servant. But God can use me. And he blessed me this morning with that young man. He said he, he was uh, battling in his heart when he was listening to my preaching, but he finally, the Holy Spirit broke through and got him right with God. <laughs> what a thing, man. And God just used me, that's all. I, I give him the glory because I didn't do it, the Holy Spirit did it. But what a blessing. And that's how God preserves the scriptures is through human instrumentation. There's another thing about our Bible, and that is it is scientifically accurate. Not that I care about science that much. Uh, you know, it's, science does have some real factual things, but um, some of this new modern science is a joke. What a, what a mess we're in. I'm telling you, what this, how many pronouns? Who knows how many pronouns are coming up with? I walked through the airport yesterday all day long. I walked through the airport. You know what? Every time I saw the pink lights for the bathroom, it was women. And they all had little dresses on. How about that? You, look, you saw the icon, it said women, and all the little, little ladies, little pink ladies in dresses. How about that? Even the world knows how a woman should dress. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I think why the little blue signs, it's little blue guys with their pant legs sticking down. And that's what I, so we still got two genders in the airport. Thank, thank the Lord for that. Amen. But, and I, I love that. I love that attorney general at North Carolina. You can YouTube him. He gave a speech. He's at a church, too. I think it's a Baptist church. He's a, he's a great big dude. Man, he's big as an offensive lineman. This dude is a monster. He's big up. He said, oh, I got some news for you. I got two words for you. Ain't but two genders. <laughs> he just goes on preaching for about five minutes, and the place is just rocking, boy. They're shouting it out. I love it. I love North Carolina churches. If you ever get to go, make sure you go to an old-fashioned independent Bible preaching Baptist Church in North Carolina where they have a choir because they all, they all call the choir from the floor and they all come up there and the women are all carrying a baby on their hip. So they're holding, they're holding a baby here and one of them's holding on to their sweater here and they're holding a songbook here. They're up there with their young and singing and most of them are doing this, you know, the sway. That's how they, I, I love, I love North Carolina churches. They get with it, man. But uh, if you haven't lived until you've seen it, but what a blessing. But anyhow, there, there is such a thing as uh, scientific accuracy in the Bible. You know, in the book of Isaiah, I believe it is, where uh, it, the, the prophet declares that the world is round. He talks about the circle of the earth. It's long before, long before uh, Christopher Columbus figured it out that the world was not flat. I know there's a group of flat earthers. And you, who knows? Every church has them. But there's oddballs everywhere. I, even our church back home, we got some flat earthers. I don't know who they are, and I'm glad, so I just let them have it. And this world is round. Give me a break. How silly. But uh, anyhow, um, and you have to look. Look at the moon. Look at the star. Look at everything. The sun. It's all. It's not a flat sun. It's, all right, we are, we're not going to go there. So 
There's the circle, the circle of the earth. It's in the Bible. It talks about the, the paths in the sea in one place. I think it's in Psalms. It talks about the paths. Those are ocean currents. They're in the Bible long before men discovered them. It talks about constellations, Pleiades and Orion, or, or Orion, however you want to pronounce it. But he's the bow and arrow guy, isn't he? It's up there. You, you see him? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Orion? Yeah, he's the guy, that's the bow, bow hunter. I don't know what Pleiades does. I, I don't know if he's a tractor plow or what, but that's, that's one of the constellations that's up there. But it's in the Bible. They talked about it way, way back then, thousands of years ago. So yeah, there's, there's something about this Bible. And all these things are in there that helps us not only to learn, but to trust this Bible. It's the Word of God that lives and abides forever. Now, the next one is this. There's multiple fulfilled prophecies. There's prophecies about Jesus in the Bible, over 150 prophecies about Jesus Christ, his birth, uh, the, the whole background of his birth, the fact that he would be virgin-born, the place of his birth, all that stuff in the Old Testament is so neat. And it talks about his, his ministry. It talks about his message. It talks about his followers. There's prophecy about uh, his death on Calvary. There's prophecy about his resurrection, his ascension, his return, all that. There's 150 references to the life of Jesus Christ in that Bible. Now, all of them so far have been fulfilled. Well, the only one we're waiting on is for him to come back. I'm a, I'm a candidate. I'm ready for him to come tonight. I really don't want to drive all the way back to Florida, but I will uh, if he doesn't come tonight. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. I let him come. Let her rip, man. Let her rip. There's fulfilled prophecy. There's prophecy about the Jewish people, uh, their, their captivity. It's amazing that in Second Chronicles, we read, that's the great chapter, chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and, and pray and seek my face, you know, everybody knows that verse. But what about the verses before and after? There's warnings in there. God said, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to send problems for you. I'm going to scourge you with the rod of men. The rod of men was people like uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his grandson Belshazzar, uh, Ahasuerus. He was a devil. Ahasuerus, he would come to your house. If you, didn't, if you didn't let him have your children to fight in his army, he took those children and cut their bodies in half. And then he separated those bodies on opposite sides of the road and marched his army through it. You joined his army or your family would die. Wow, what a, what a great recruiting plan that must have been. But he was hated. Uh, but Ahasuerus was not just one. That's like a title, like Pharaoh is a title. And Esther wasn't married to that guy, Ahasuerus. He was, she was married to another one. But, man, they're wicked. But those, that's the rod of men that God used to scourge his own people. He drove them into captivity. Think about this. Now, if, you're, if you're a Jewish family, they would chain you together. Husband, wife, son, daughter. And you marched from Jerusalem or wherever you were in Israel. They marched you six or seven hundred miles through those deserts, along those rivers, all those wilderness, until you got to Babylon. Then once you got to Babylon or Medo-Persia, wherever, wherever it was that they were taking you, because there were two, two invasions, at least two invasions, 
and they would take you there, and they would take the man and say, oh, we hear that you're a carpenter. You can build furniture. Or we could use you up in this neck of the woods. And so, you know, we have 50 states in America. We are a pretty good-sized country. They had 126 provinces. I mean, that's huge. <laughs> and that spread all across Asia and Asia Minor. And say, say, Dad, you're going to go up there. You're going to build furniture for all the wealthy people and make it nice, make it good stuff. And uh, we hear your wife is a seamstress. She can make clothes, so she's going to work in this other province, you know, hundreds of miles away. You'll never see her again, but we can use her to make clothes for, for all the noblemen and their, and their families. And this boy of yours, he's got a strong back. We're going to put him behind the plow up in the north country. You're never going to see him again either. And they got this little gal. Here's 13, 14-year-old gal. What are you going to do with her? Well, she doesn't know how to do anything. Well, she can wait on... She can wait on somebody in their house, some rich lady. She can get her clothes ready and puff up her pillow and, and uh, get her breakfast ready, make sure her coffee's hot and do all that. And so they put her in the house of, a, of Naaman. Remember that guy? And Mrs. Naaman, she was the maid. She had to get her clothes ready, had to help her get dressed, had to help her get ready for bed. She had to help her with her bath. She had to help her with everything. She was her maiden, her handmaid. Little 13, 14-year-old kid. So one day... This name, and she's all brokenhearted. She said, what's the matter, mistress? She said, well, I got, we got news. My husband has leprosy. He's going to die. Now, if it had been me as a teenage girl, I said, get enough for him, a scoundrel. He's the reason I'm down here. He's the reason my family's broken up. But that's not what she did, is it? Thank God for a good girl that held her faith. Wow, what a testimony. That really rebukes us, doesn't it? We get bitter over the craziest things. If the air conditioning don't work, I'm not going to that restaurant. Their air conditioning is out. <laughs> you know? Uh, well, we heard about that one. That place, they got botulism. Well, that's probably a good reason to stay away from it. <laughs> I, was, I was pastoring in Kent years ago. Botulism broke out in the, what's the, Jack in the Box? Is that the place? Yeah. That was, it was way, way back. But you know what? After they cleaned it up, that's the best place to eat. It was the cleanest place in the county. <laughs> so I didn't even hesitate. Uh, maybe that's what's wrong with me. I, I don't know. But, 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 you know, this girl, she was a Jewish girl, and she got a hold of a promise. Like, like it says right there, God said, I'll keep them. I'll keep my word. I'll preserve my word from this generation and forever. In Isaiah 40 and verse 8, the Bible says this, the, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I think that was drilled into the hearts and right down into the souls of every Jewish person, man, woman, boy, and girl. They clung to those promises. They knew that this was all part of God's plan. We disobeyed him. Our fathers have apostatized. That's why we're in trouble. I'm still going to fear the Lord. I'm still going to testify for him. I'm going to stand true for him because I trust him. So this little girl, when they brought her the news of Mr. Naaman's leprosy, she said, what to God, you could get him to the to the man of God, Elisha the prophet, he could heal him of his leprosy. Wow. After all that that happened, and her family all broken to pieces, her nation, the Bible says it was desolate. I mean, not only were the buildings broken down, but the grass and the weeds had grown up through it. We've all seen desolate land before. And yet this little girl clung to that promise. What an example, what an illustration of how to trust God's word. And of course, she told the story to Naaman, and off he went, got his 
entourage and all that stuff. They went down there, found that nasty river, and he said, I ain't dipping in that river. Oh, my word. Uh, God asks so much of us, doesn't he? You know what he asked us to do? He said, humble yourselves and seek my face. Uh, you know, the Bible says, blessed is the beggar before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what it means. Blessed is the beggar. We come to God as a beggar. That's how humble he wants us. We can't come to God and say, hey, God, <laughs> you know I'm going to get saved now. You're really getting a good deal here. I'm quite a guy. I got a lot of influence. I got a lot of money. I got a lot of power. That's not how you come to God, is it? You, know, you come as I did as a six-year-old kid. Lord, I'm a sinner. Save my soul. I don't want to go to hell. That's, that's it. And that's how God can use us. He can use that one that's humble. Well, the Jewish people. That's a great, great, strong piece of evidence as to why the Bible is true. Um, just, just a quick question. I'm doing a quick survey here. How many of you in here know a Jewish person? Yeah, no, hands all over the place. Okay, how many of you know a Canaanite? A Hittite? A Philistine? Come on, a Malachite? Jebusite? Mosquito bite? <laughs> yeah, we know those. Hey, little girl, I know the mosquito bites too. But isn't that amazing? Now, the Hittite Empire, it occupied all of Asia Minor at one time. They controlled everything, the whole northern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They controlled it. They, they were the first iron workers. They, they were made their shields out of iron and they, they, uh, they built chariots. They were strong people. And we don't, nobody knows a Hittite. <laughs> Wonder why. I'll tell you why. Because God didn't make any promises to them. He made them to those Jews. We just raise our hands. A bunch of people know Jewish people. They're all over the place. The Bible says we're supposed to pray for them too, by the way, but that's a good reason for us to trust this Bible because they're still around. He's still working with them, still preserving. But probably the most important reason for us is, is in Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to read this scripture for you and tell you a story, and I'll be done. I'm, I'm, getting, um, I'm getting my uh, alarm system going here from a little one there. <laughs> She's ready. Amen. Hebrews 4 and verse number 12 says this, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's the power of God's word. And by the way, it still has power. But that's probably the greatest reason for us to still trust God's word. You say, well, I don't know anything about the power of God. Well, if you don't, you need to get saved. Because if you're saved, you've already experienced the power of God. There's people I'd, I'd love, I'd, I would love. One night, one night at SeaTac years ago, uh, no, it was a Sunday morning. It was a Sunday morning. I had five or six men visiting with different, they were not connected. They weren't even together. They just, visitors came in and all over. I said, oh, my word, this is great. I don't know if they're saved or lost. But I remember our calling on six of our men Sunday morning. I remember calling on Bob half a day. I said, Brother Bob, give us two or three minutes. Tell us how the Lord saved your soul. He got up, man. He gave us, oh, buddy, he laid it out. It was wonderful. He told how he got saved and, and how, the life that he had lived and how God changed his life. 
God did it all. I wanted these men, I don't know if they were saved or lost, but I wanted them to know that there was men in this audience just like them, that they experienced the power of God and his saving power. It was a wonderful service. I, I'll never forget it. It was, it was great. I had several of my men tell the same thing, gave their testimony. Just It was kind of, a, I don't know what you call that, not random, but uh, uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a word for it when it just comes all, all of a sudden, but uh, the Lord just gave me that, and what a blessing it was. The power of God in his Bible. Think about how many times it has helped you. Think of how many times you've been in a dark valley and God has just lifted you. How many times that God has counseled you. You didn't know which way to go. You had to make a decision. You had to make it quick. And you found it in God's word. And by the way, you'll keep on finding it. A few years ago, I was uh, at a missions camp. Now, it was a camp meeting in Mississippi. That's another place, buddy. Boy, there's some great preaching. I don't know if you ever heard of Percy Ray, but what a preacher, my word. He had the power of God on him. He had a camp in the middle of nowhere, and he would draw 2,000 people every year. Every year, 2,000 people would come to his camp, and he'd have a bunch of preachers preach, and oh, my word, it was something else. He was, he was a great man of God, Percy Ray. And anyhow, um, I was up there in a, in a uh, Bible conference not too far from there, uh, and uh, the guy that was preaching, the main speaker from, was from Ireland, and uh, he'd been giving us uh, kind of a exposition on Isaiah 53, you know, that's the great chapter. Um, everybody that knows the Bible knows Isaiah 53. It's about the Lord. It's a prophecy. And he was giving us all kind of stuff I'd never seen. I'm writing notes like crazy. And I thought, this is a waste of my time. I can't, I'll never be able to preach. This guy's way too smart, man. I'll never be able to feed, uh, figure this stuff out. But I listened to him and enjoyed him. And one day I got stuck at my Bible table and I was uh, kind of like today, man. I was just selling Bibles and books and doing stuff and helping people. And uh, time passed, and I'd miss lunch. I thought, oh, that's not good. I need, I need soup and salad. So I finally closed things down and ran over to the dining area where it was and grabbed me a soup and some salad and got me something or other to drink. I was sitting there. I remember the table was completely empty. There was about five eight-foot tables lined there. I was all by myself. I sat at the table. Well, in a few seconds, here come that old white-haired preacher from Ireland. He must have got tied up too. And he came over and sat across from me and said, Brother, can I sit with you? I said, absolutely. So he sat down, and he knew who I was because he'd been to my Bible table. And uh, I said, you know, I, we publish Bibles, but I'm always looking for stories that illustrate the power of God's Word. And man, he lit up. He smiled. His eyebrows raised. He said, I got one for you. And he told me this story about uh, a place over in Ireland. Now, in Ireland, it's, you know, it's an island. But on the western coastline is a little place called Eccle Island. Now, I've never been over there. I've been to Ireland, I think. No, I've been to England once, but I've never been to Ireland. I want to go over there and fish those salmon. I want, I want to go bad, but, but one of these days, if the Lord lets me. So over on the west coast of Ireland is Eccle Island. It's a resort island where people go. In America, we go on vacation for a week or two. Over there, they go on holiday for a month or two. What's wrong with us? Why don't we follow that? But anyhow... Uh, so th this, this, this Christian boy would go up there. He saved his money. He could stay for as long as he wanted to. And while he was over there on this Eccle Island, he took gospel tracts. He witnessed to people. He just enjoyed it. It was a beautiful place, and he could enjoy the, the ocean breezes and the beauty of the scenery and everything about it. He passed out gospel tracts and tried to be a blessing to witness. And uh, I guess you might consider this man was the town drunk, and he was very boisterous, but he was charismatic and always had 
people around him laughing because of the way he acted. He drank a lot, he smoked, he cursed, and he was just funny to the world. He was funny. Well, he was very attractive, very charismatic. So this Christian man made his way up to him and said, I want to give you a gospel tract, tell you how God can save your soul, take you to heaven when you die. He just ripped it up through it. He said, I don't need God. I don't need that. Well, that Christian man got challenged and went back to him every day, every day, every day, giving him a gospel tract, trying to give him the gospel, try to witness to him. And the, the, the guy finally would talk to him, but he, he would not take a tract. Well, it came time for the Christian boy to go back to the mainland, to go back to work, so he could save up his money for next year's holiday. Amen. <laughs> so anyhow, he got ready to leave, and he took out a New Testament. He said, my friend, I want to give you this. He pulled, a, pulled this pocket open on his coat, stuffed that New Testament in there. He said, now, that's the Word of God. You reverence the Word of God. And that's all he said, and he walked away. Well, this, this sea captain, he was, he was, um, his job was to just scuttle this little boat and from what I understand, he would go out to meet uh, merchant ships, cruise ships, all these boats that were way out there in the traffic lanes, and he would get their garbage and bring it back and get rid of it for them. That was his job. So uh, he, he had connections, I guess, with uh, Marines and all that stuff. Well, one day he was out there, and on, on the way back from, from his job, the, the rain shook up the boat, and finally it settled down, and he had been a little bit uh, unsteady there, so he reached in his pocket to get a cigarette because I guess that calmed your nerves. I never smoke, and I don't know how sucking on smoke can calm you. Ask the people in New York right now. <laughs> They're all breathing smoke. I mean, really. Yeah, that relaxes me. <laughs> yeah, that's really smart. <laughs> it makes no sense, but anyhow, I guess smokers, that's what they enjoy. And he reached in that pocket to, to calm himself down, and he found that New Testament. And he threw that thing to the deck of that little boat. He was so frustrated. But something in his heart smote him. And he felt guilty because he remembered those words. And he picked up that little New Testament, put it back in his pocket. Now, later on that night, he got in that bunk. And he couldn't go to sleep. He said, I wonder why I can't, I can't sleep. I wonder why I picked that Bible up. I don't care anything about that Bible. I don't know God. I don't care anything about God. But for some reason or other, he started to open that Bible and started reading those pages. And before long, he had read all the way through into the epistles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and the rest. He learned about why Jesus was born, how he died on the cross, why he died on the cross, and how we could receive him if we believe in our heart and trust him. Romans 10 talks about, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God rose him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He read all that stuff. And he came to the knowledge of salvation by reading that New Testament. Oh, he was converted. He poured his liquor out. He stopped the smoking. He stopped the cursing. His whole personality changed. He was a brand new person. He went back to that lodging house and said, when does that guy come? When's that Christian boy? When's he coming back here? They said, well, he usually comes at such and such a time of the year. He could hardly wait for, for him to come. And uh, they fellowshiped then. Well, time went on, and, and this guy, he, he stood true for the Lord. He was a faithful Christian, and his friends had known that he used to be a cruise ship captain, and they knew that he lost his job because of his drinking. They knew that he had a family back down in the London area, too, but because of his drinking and his bad behavior, he had to leave them. They said, why don't you get your job back? We'll, we'll vouch for you. We, are, we will be a testimony 
to your character that you have, you're a changed person. Why don't you go and try to get your job back at the cruise ship? So he contacted London. He lined up several interviews at different cruise lines. He went down there and got all of his paperwork done. And he was going in and out of those offices. And while he was waiting for appointments, he's out in the streets of London handing out gospel tracts and telling how Jesus saved his soul and trying to be a witness for Christ. And this lady was walking over here, and her little daughter was pulling on her and said, Mama, come on. Why are you staring at that man? She said, wait a minute, honey, I think that's your daddy over there. I'm not sure, but sure enough, their eyes met, and it was him. And he came over and told her, told his wife what God had done for him and changed his life. And he eventually did get back on the cruise ship as a captain. And the last report I heard from Brother Victor Maxwell, the pastor in Ireland, he said that he's still holding services every Lord's Day on the cruise ship for those passengers, giving the gospel, telling the old, old story. It still has power. I'm telling you that because I know that some of you in here have loved ones. You have people you worked with. You have people that live near you, your neighbors. You may have a son or a daughter that's wayward. You may have a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle, someone that's special to you. You're praying. You think God's never going to save them. There's power in that word. All we have to do is be faithful. All we have to do is just keep lifting it up. Try to get the gospel into their hands. Keep praying. Don't give up. Hold on. Because God answers prayer. There's no limit to God's power. I love a verse in Psalm 147 that says, His word runneth very swiftly. Now, isn't that interesting? His word runneth swiftly. We're not talking about physical speed. We're talking about spiritual speed. Have you ever had a, a thought? Maybe you just needed a, something straightened around in your mind or your heart, and you read something in the Bible, and that quick, the Holy Spirit said, there it is right there. That's how quick God's word can act and move in our heart. You can trust it. And just as much as your loved one maybe is rejecting the Bible, one of these days they'll wake up to it. You just keep praying. You just keep trusting that old book. Cleave to it. Now, Lord, we're going to ask you our blessings on our time here together. Oh, thank you for this precious book. Thank you for what you've given us. What a treasure. What a beautiful piece of literature. Lord, there's so much fascination about this marvelous book. But the thing that impresses me the, the most is after all these thousands and thousands of years and millions and millions of people, you're still touching hearts and you're still touching lives and you're still helping men and women to raise their family. You're still helping churches to get established. You're still calling missionaries to the field through this book. God, help us to trust that book. I pray you'd bless that one that's troubled in their own soul tonight. They haven't trusted Christ as their Savior. Please help them make a decision. Come to this old-fashioned altar and get some help from one of these soul winners. I know there's soul winners in this church. Help that one that's troubled over who knows what that heartache is that he's battling with. Perhaps they just got some bad news from the doctor. Maybe they just got some bad news from, from their children. God, help us to keep on cleaving and keep on believing. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand quickly, quietly. The sister is going to play us some music that just will accompany us for invitation time.